Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Pastor Zeke is out of town. Last I checked his location, he uh, just got through Phoenix. Uh, he's heading out to Las Cruces, New Mexico to teach at a mission school this week. Uh, if you remember from like three or four or five weeks ago, uh, Pastor Dave Chafee was here from the 10th Hour Project. It's kind of like a mission school. So he's going to be teaching. So if you remember during the week, Monday through Thursday, he'll be teaching for about three hours every morning uh, with these, uh, I think it's like nine, 10, 12 students, something like that. I don't know how big the class is, but uh, anyways, so so what usually happens when Pastor Zeke is out, um, you know, you got the inmates running the asylum, we say, right, that that Thomas and I are, you know, going to take over a little this morning. So we'll see how that goes. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As we usually do when Pastor Zeke's out, we just continue a study through 2 Corinthians. It's been about four years since we started 1 Corinthians. And so if you don't know what happened last time, you could just read uh, from a little behind. But uh, we, we find ourselves today uh, in a text. We're, our goal is to get through all of chapter 12. Um, verses 7 through 10 are some of the most popular verses uh, probably in the book of 2 Corinthians that, uh, that, that we see in many different places. And I think there's a lot to them, and so we'll, we'll spend a bulk of our time there. But the goal is, again, to get through uh, the whole chapter. If you remember where we're at in the text, for those who were with us a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul is defending his apostleship. Uh, if you remember, he was for 18 months there in Corinth, starting the church, uh, pouring into the, the people there, and then he goes on to establish other churches, to encourage other churches, and in the midst of doing that, some false teachers came by. They called themselves some more eminent apostles. The uh, translation we would use would be uh, that they called themselves kind of super apostles, and they were kind of tearing down from Paul's ministry. And so, as Paul talks about all the things that he's talking about 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, all these things, it, it would make sense that the people, if they could discredit who Paul was, then it would allow them to not be accountable to what Paul said. And so Paul now has to go on the defense and explain to others what his credentials are, who he is, and again, he doesn't like doing it, and it's very much like a, like a father sitting down his son and offering correction. It's not pleasant, but it's necessary. Uh, there's sometimes, and we see it here, a little sarcasm mixed in, even that Paul would use that word eminent apostles or super apostles. We see that there's a degree of sarcasm there. And so we'll see that again in a couple places this morning. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll come back and talk about that, and then we'll be able to go through the rest of the chapter after that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities." For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." 
Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, where we think of that old prayer where we would say, make the book live to us. Show us yourself through your word. Show us my, ourselves, Lord, and show us our Savior. And Lord, make this book live to us, and it's for your sake, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, Paul continuing on in his defense, he starts out by saying it's not profitable for me to boast in who I am. It's not profitable for me to to brag about who I am when it comes to visions and revelations from the Lord. Uh, But of course, he has to do it. He has to talk about it. In verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, that man that he's talking about is himself. Uh, He's talking about something that he went through 14 years ago. He said, whether it was in the body, I don't know. Whether it was out of the body, I don't know. Uh, God knows. Uh, He goes, he was caught up into the third heaven. He says, I know this man, whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Caught up into paradise, verse 4, with words uh, inexpressible. He says, it's not even lawful for a man to utter these words. And so these 14 years ago, uh, by way of timeline, commentators are kind of split on when they think this might have happened. A lot of uh, people automatically go to Acts chapter 14. If you're a note taker, you could read uh, Acts 14 in your own time. But the time when Paul was preaching there uh, in Derby and then in Lystra, and he's in Lystra, and if you remember, uh, the, the, the crowd gets riled up. And they want to put him to death, so they start throwing rocks, you know. They start stoning him. And, and it says that he had died right there outside the city. And then after a little bit, he kind of revives back to life. And he goes right back into the city to preach. Well, that would fit because if he actually was caught up into paradise, saw a vision of the Lord, saw these amazing things, it would make sense that he would get up from being dead. And it, I don't know about you, I'd probably leave the city. You know, that's probably what I would do. Hey, if you guys don't want to, you know, hear from me, you want to throw rocks at me. I mean, again, if you guys want to throw rocks at me right now, I'd probably just walk out the side door and be done. You know, but, but he, if he had been caught up into this vision, saw the Lord, it, it would make sense if that's where it is. But it doesn't necessarily have to be at that point in time. Uh, it could have been uh, from Galatians chapter 1, if you're familiar with Galatians chapter 1, verses 21 through chapter 2, verse 1, where, where Paul talks about at, at his point of salvation. He went for about 10 years and spent time in the wilderness of Syria and Cilicia. And it could have been in that time that the Lord revealed himself in a special way, caught him up uh, into into paradise and showed him these things. Other commentators still think it's Acts chapter 13 uh, when Paul's there in Antioch. Uh, At at any rate, I don't think it matters specifically. Uh, I probably lean closer to the time where it looks like he he died and was there in Lystra. But again, if the the text is silent, we stay silent uh, on that. That's not the main point. I think what the main point is, is that he's going to talk about this thing that happened where he's caught up, and and he uses this word, into the third heaven. Now, that can cause some confusion. Uh, Some people have, have 
created certain doctrines about levels of heaven, and that's not at all what he's talking about. In that day, it was common to look at just the, the regular day sky, the blue sky that we see, and just call that the first heaven. In the nighttime, when you see the starry sky, or what would be like space, they'd call that the second heaven. And then where God is actually dwelling is what they would call the third heaven. That's what he means when he says that. Uh, Damien Kyle says that the, the Russian astronauts got it wrong. If you remember uh, early on in space travel when the Russians got up into heaven and they said we're or up into space, they said we're up here in the heavens and, and we don't see God anywhere. And uh, those poor guys, they were one heaven short, right? Uh, they were one heaven short of being there. So uh, anyway, that's all he means. When he, he doesn't mean that there's levels of heaven. There's not different levels of heavens. We get, we do see early in, earlier in First Corinthians, different uh, rewards given in heaven based on what we've done for Christ uh, on, on the earth, but but not levels of heaven like he would uh, like it would seem to uh, say there. And so he's saying, I know this man. He's, he doesn't want to use his own like you know this was me. I'm this awesome guy. But he goes, look, I know this man. And again, whether I was in the body, whether I was out of the body, whether it was just a dream, a vision, whatever it was, I was caught up into this place. And I heard these things from God. It happened 14 years ago. This seems to be the first time he's talking about something like this. I do find this interesting because uh, when we think of these amazing experiences or we think of visions given by God, and I don't know what you've been through. I know what I've been through. There have been times when I feel like God has spoken to me very clearly. There's times, whether it's it's a vision, whether it's a dream, uh, and we believe that stuff can happen. But sometimes we have to be very careful uh, about who it's for. I think sometimes when things like this happen, we want to share it with everybody. Oh, God gave me this vision for you. And I was reading uh, Ironside, and he said, uh, whenever someone gives me a vision that the Lord gave them for me, I'm very weary of it. He says, usually the first question I'll ask is what they had for dinner the night before. And you know what, guys? Sometimes we could have dreams, and, and we're not to put too much stock into the dreams that we have uh, because... Well, sometimes it's just bad pizza, you know, that we've had. And so we have to be careful about the dream. It has to always, whatever revelation we seem to get from the Lord, it has to come back in line with what the entirety of the Scriptures say. If there's anything that we feel like has been spoken to us, and, it, and it's even just a, a degree or two outside of what the Scriptures say, we need to be very careful about those types of things. Well, Paul, again, for 14 years has been sitting on this thing. And, and, and I don't know about, well, in verse 5, he says, of such a one all boast, yet of myself I will not boast, just in my infirmities. He doesn't even want to boast about this. And, and, and Dave Guzik says this, often it's easy to think that the only ones who have profound experiences with God are those who boast about it constantly. Paul never did boast as the super apostles did, but he certainly had profound experiences with God. The proof of those profound experiences was found in his transformed life and his powerful and truthful ministry. It's the life we live that proves what God is doing. It's not necessarily the signs or anything miraculous. And so Paul, in, you know, looking like he's caught up into heaven and sees these things, he says that they're words that, that they're not even lawful to utter. I don't totally understand what that means. But, but I'm, I'm comforted in Isaiah 55 where we're told just like the heavens are higher than the earth, God's ways are higher than our ways. 
There are things that happen in heaven. There's things that we don't get to fully understand. I think of the book of Revelation when John's writing, and there's something that happens, and he says he wants to write it, and God goes, don't, don't write that part. Don't write that part. There are some secret things. In Deuteronomy 29, we're told, the secret things belong to the Lord. Not everything is revealed. And, and you know, I'll be honest, I think if God were to reveal every single thing to us, uh, it would blow our minds sometimes. I don't know about you, but, but I think in the life of faith, there's times that if God would have told me beforehand what it was going to cost to become a man of faith in certain ways, I would have been like, no thanks. I don't need the whole story, right? I, I don't, if, if that's the cost, and I think all of us have been through trials or some type of tribulation that God brings us through somewhere uh, and he brings us out the other side with, with, with what he wants us to be. And so we have to be very careful. Uh, when, it, when it comes to these things. Sometimes, again, the things that God shares with us, they're, they're just for us. And, and so what happens here is, is Paul is saying, okay, I'm going to boast a little. I don't, I don't want to be foolish in, in boasting about this, but I will speak to you about these things that have happened through me. These inexpressible words, he's not going to give us those. And again, I think again, uh, if you remember when Jacob wrestled with God, and he says, what's your name? I, I, won't let, I want your name. And he goes, how can I give you my name? It's too wonderful for you. And so here he's got these uh, amazing things. He didn't, I, I find it, he didn't write a book about it. You know, he probably could have gotten a good publisher and made a lot of money off uh, what he saw in heaven. And he goes, there's no need for it. What God has shown us, he's shown us through the entirety of Scripture. And there's times, I think, guys, that we can go down these rabbit holes of looking for extra biblical things or looking for, for deeper things. And I'll tell you, I got my work cut out for me just with what I have right here. Just obeying already what it says right here is enough for me. We don't, if, if God chooses not to reveal it, then God chooses not to reveal it. And so he says this, for, for though I might, verse 6, desire to boast, I will not be a fool. I'll speak the truth. Uh, he says, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or what he hears from me. He goes, look, I, I'm, I'm not looking to be exalted in your eyes. I just, I just want you to judge me straight up for who I've been. And again, this is Paul the Apostle here. I mean, this guy's been through some incredible things, planted all these churches. You remember times in the book of Acts that even his shadow passes by people and heals people. There's times that, he, that, that you know, he's teaching that Bible study, the guy falls out the window and dies. He raises him back to life. I mean, this guy has done some incredible things, but he goes, I don't want anyone to think any more of me. Uh, just what you see from me, just what you hear from me. Verse 7, this is where we get into these interesting verses. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So he said, look, it, uh, lest I get puffed up with pride, the fastest way, I think, to slow down a minister of God, someone who serves him. The fastest way to slow someone down or detract from their ministry is to let them get puffed up with pride and start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. It's very possible. And again, if you had been through what Paul had been through, if you had seen these kind of things, if you had seen fruit from your ministry, geez, I mean, if any of us had seen that kind of fruit from our ministry, there, there would be this temptation to think you're something special. And so God gives him something. Satan takes advantage of it, and we'll get into that in a sec. But he says, lest I get puffed up, 
I was given this thorn in the flesh. Now, I, I don't know about you, uh, when I think of a thorn, I think of those goat heads that we get sometimes. You know those little goat heads? I mean, they'll pop a, 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 a bike tire, you know, and, and if you've ever stepped on one with no shoes, and it's just like, it doesn't matter how rough your feet are, that thing will get through there, and it is painful, and it would cause you even to kind of, you know, limp, and, 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 it's not, and, and if that was the thorn he was talking about, that would be tough enough. That word that he uses for thorn, if you look it up in the original language, he's talking of more of a tent peg, and not those little camping stakes that we, you know, hold down our little baby tent with. You know those big tents that you rent? And they're like those 18-inch stakes that they drive into the ground to really hold something. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying that this tent peg has been driven into my flesh. Now, some people like to over-spiritualize this. Go, oh, you know, it's just, you know, in, in his fleshly nature. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that he's been given a physical deal to deal with here. That, that it's like it feels like a thorn in his flesh. I don't know about you. But if like walking on a goat head would cause a limp, you know, a, a tent peg kind of driven in somewhere in your flesh would cause you to, to, to kind of have a little pause. Now, what was this thorn in the flesh that was given to him? It wasn't an actual tent stake. We know that, but he said it was like that. Uh, we have a little clue in Galatians of what it might have been uh, that Paul probably dealt with, or it's possible he dealt with, uh, this kind of eye disease. If you know of the Apostle Paul, he wasn't uh, necessarily the best looking guy. He was a great writer, good speaker, but he kind of, they think he might have had this like drippy pus ooze stuff coming out of his eyes pretty regularly. That's disgusting, right? Uh, that it's not something <laughs> that, that if you were like this great teacher, right, you had all this talent, you're a great writer, and you show up and they go, golly, that's what you look like? That's disgusting. You know, so it's no wonder Right, that God goes, you know what? You might get puffed up with pride. If, you're, if your shadow heals people, if you're able to raise the dead, if you're able to preach these sermons and write these books, you got this lawyer's mind, we got to hold you back in some way. I know this guy, and I won't mention his name because I didn't ask for permission first, um, but, but he's like, you know, this you know, pretty handsome guy, you know, and he's, he's a superb Bible teacher. I mean, I watch this guy teach, and I just like, oh, my goodness. And, he, and he's a great administrator, and he's so, I mean, it's like he's got everything together. And he can lead, he can sing, and he can play the guitar. I mean, he has, like, got every gift in the world, but he started balding, like, in his early 20s, you know. And I'm like, see, God knew. God knew, you know. And I joke around. I say it facetiously, right? I'm like, you know, with a personality like mine, you know, there's only so much I could handle. So, so God didn't give me much in the, the other departments there, you know. But uh, just joking. But he says that this thing that he has, this, whether it was an eye, goopy eye thing, whether it was some people say it could have been a headache he could never get rid of, uh, some kind of limp, it, it, whatever it was, it was so that he would remember at all times to be humble. It is so important in God's servants that we be humble. That we pause and we realize that it is God who is doing the work. It's not us. He says a messenger of Satan to buffet him. What does he mean by that? If you remember in Job chapter 1 and 2, you remember Job that... Uh, 
And we get a little insight into the story. He's a very well-off man. He does very good for himself. He's got a big family, lots of possessions. And, and Satan comes before the Lord, and God asks him, hey, where have you been? And he says, you know, just walking to and fro, causing havoc on the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he goes, well, go, 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 come on, Lord. Uh, you know, God, of course, of course he loves you. Of course he serves you. Look how rich he is. Like, he's got, you got, you got all the stuff that he needs. And so God goes, well, take it from him. See what he does. He goes, but don't touch his person, right? So he goes, and, and he takes away all Job's possessions, and it says that Job didn't curse God in any of it. So Satan comes back before the Lord, and the Lord says, have you considered Job? And he goes, well, obviously I didn't touch his, his, his person. You, you let a guy hurt, and he will not serve you. And so God goes, okay, go ahead. Do what you're going to do, but don't take his life. And so what happens that next time Job ends up with these sores all over his body. It's like he's using stuff to scratch his body just to give himself some relief. And even in that, he doesn't curse God. I'd say this is probably something similar. That God, for one reason or another, allows this to happen. But you better believe Satan jumps right in there. He says, this messenger of Satan to buffet me, to poke at me, to bother me, lest I be exalted above measure. You would imagine if you had some kind of disease or some kind of sickness or some kind of illness or the goopy eye thing maybe, that you would pray and ask God to take it away. Would you not? I would. I mean, the second I get into any hot water, I'm like, God, please help me. I don't, I'm not made for this, you know? And, uh, and, and it's hard for me to suffer, you know? Misery loves company. If I can't, if he doesn't take the suffering, I'll, I'll invite someone else into the suffering, you know? <laughs> My friends know that well. But it says that, that he pleaded with God to take it. And you can imagine how this physical deal now becomes a spiritual deal that he begins to ask God for healing, and for one reason or another, it's not answered. Have you ever had that? Where there's something in your life, and you pray, and you go, God, would you take this from me? God, would you help me with this thing? And it doesn't seem like there's an answer. Or it doesn't seem like it's fixed. And again, you could imagine Satan whispering in this guy's ear, going, God's left you, man. I mean, Paul talks about all the times he's been in prison. He talks about the times he's been beaten. He talks about all the things he's gone through, and now he's got a sickness that he can't rid himself of. And, and you, you don't think for a second Satan wasn't in his ear going, you, you, dude, he, you're all by yourself. God's abandoned you. That work you thought you did for God, you didn't do nothing for God. Look how he's left you with all this stuff. And there's times we're tempted, right? To, to doubt God, and, and, and he says, a concerning this thing, verse 3, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times. Now, that phrase he uses for three times could mean three literal times, but it could also mean just an abundance of times. Ceaselessly, he's asking. Continuously, he's asking. It'd be very similar to Matthew chapter 7. If you're a note taker, you could read that later. It's Matthew 7, 7 through 12, where, where he says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Right? We know that of the Lord. We're not supposed to get weary in prayer, but to keep asking, to keep going before the Lord. He says, I pleaded three times. Paul's taking his own medicine here in Philippians chapter 4. If you remember Philippians 4, 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, 
But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. And so he asked God, and there's nothing wrong with asking God, but then there are times and there will be times that God's answer is no. Don't we know that as parents with our kids? That sometimes it is best for us to tell our kids no. That if I give you that thing, it won't be good for you in the long run. Again, we could use this silly illustration. I think it works, though, that, that when our kids, you know, before dinner want to eat something, you know, sweet or whatever that's going to spoil their dinner, it doesn't matter how nicely they ask. It doesn't matter how many times they ask. Dad, please, 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 I just want a snack. Dad, please, 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 please. And I go, no. doesn't mean I don't love you. It's just not what's best for you. I know what's best for you. So no. And God is allowed to do that with us. I think there's times that we, and, and we're going to talk about some of the, the problems that, that come when we think God owes us all the time. That we think if we pray enough, fast enough, uh, sacrifice enough, God owes us an answered prayer or two. It's not the way it works. God has saved us of our sins. He has given us far more than we could ever ask for. It's just up to us to keep following Him. But in this case, Paul asks and he asks and he asks. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that this would depart. And what does God say in verse 9? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? It means that the answer to this specific request was no. And again, Paul's going, man, I, I can heal. I go places, I heal people. All these things I can do and I can't heal myself. I can't fix myself. There are times... Uh, and we've seen it through the, through the history of the church where we can like, uh, like a pendulum swing too far to one side or to the other. And what I mean by that is there's some churches you might go to and maybe you're in need of some physical healing. You want to be healed and you go, man, I want to pray for healing. And they'll go, ah, you know what? We, well, you know what? God's grace is sufficient. So let's just pray that God helps you get through this difficult time. And it's not 100% wrong, but we see both in the Scriptures, don't we? But then you can swing the pendulum to the other side where you're like, well, if you just have enough faith, you'll be healed. And, and, and the detriment that this has done to the body of Christ over the years, this, this kind of positive confession or, or, or word faith or, or just name it and claim it, this prosperity stuff. And don't think for a second it's gone from the church. It's still around and it's, it's around in good measure. That people go, well, if you just had enough faith and you just believe enough, you could do anything. You can accomplish anything. You can name it. You can claim it. You, you can be rich. You can be prosperous. And, and I'll tell you, it's a very American way of thinking. And again, not that that's, you know, the worst thing in the world, but it's not, it's not entirely biblical to think that we should never go through hardship. I'll tell you what, and, and maybe this is true in your life. I know it's true in my life. Some of the greatest growth in my walk with the Lord has come in the most difficult times in my life. 
that those times when, when God didn't just jump in right away to help, when, when God said, no, it's good for you to suffer. I'll, I'll tell you, comfort is one of the most dangerous things for the Christian. To just sit and be comfortable, there's not much growth that happens, but it's in the difficulty. And so, so what does that mean, Daniel? Are, we saying, are you saying you don't believe in healing or we shouldn't pray for healing? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. We see both all through the Scriptures. Again, in Job chapters 1 and 2 and all through the rest, we see that sometimes the righteous suffer. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that, that, it, that it rains on the just and the unjust. That life happens to everybody. In 1 Timothy, if you remember 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul's writing to a young pastor of a church, and, and, and there in chapter 5 he says, oh, and by the way, take a little wine for your stomach, for that infirmity that you have, that sickness. Why didn't Paul just write and say, oh, when you read this, you'll be healed? Because sometimes we don't see that kind of healing. And I will say this, when we're talking in, in the realm of healing, any healing that happens this side of eternity is only a temporary healing. Uh, the bodies that we have, we can try our hardest to get the most mileage out of them. But your body is like living until about like 27, 28 years old. And after that, that's why it's hard for me to buy into this evolution stuff. Like nothing I see evolves. Like it starts devolving like the day you turn 30. And, 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 I don't want to speak for some who might be a little older than me in this room right now, but I'm sure you would agree with that. I remember my grandma, she was about 80-something, 80 80, 81, 82, somewhere in there. And she went to her doctor. She's like, doctor, what's wrong with me? You know, my body's not what it used to be. And he goes, ma'am, you're 80. What's right with you? <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's going down. We have to understand any healing we pray for, is temporary at best. Perfect healing comes when we breathe our last here and we step into eternity. It's that idea of having an old broken down car that like, it's like you're putting so much money into this thing just to keep it running. There comes a point, you just need a new car, you know? And there, there's a point with these bodies, they're gonna break down. So again, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for healing and we've seen it, guys, time and again. When we've prayed for people for a specific thing, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a disease, whether it's cancer, whether it's whatever it might be, we pray for that. And we pray in faith that God could heal it if He desires to. Right? Why wouldn't we ask? I, well, so many times, and, and again, uh, uh, we look at, at verses like James in James chapter 5 when he says, is anyone sick in the church? Come ask for the elders of the church. They'll, they'll uh, anoint him with oil, lay hands on him, and pray. Why wouldn't we ask? And, and so many times when people come before us and we anoint them with oil and we pray, one of the first things I'll pray is like, God, this is not hard for you. There, there's a, for you to heal cancer and heal a headache, it doesn't take any more effort on God's behalf. It's just a matter of whether He wants to do it or not. And one of the things I'll always pray is, Lord, you do what's best. You do what will bring your name the most glory. Sometimes immediate healing. And we've known people, right, they, they come, you know, they get, they get the scan, they've got cancer, they go down, we pray, and, and we pray in faith, and we go, Lord, if you would see fit to heal that, they get there, the scan, oh gosh, nothing's there, we don't have to operate after all. Praise the Lord for that. We believe He can do that. Why wouldn't we believe that? To create the world in six days? I don't see there's a problem in, in, in healing my body. But sometimes 
we'll just say, you know, Lord, if, if, but if you don't see fit to do that, or whether you heal them in this hour or you heal them in three hours' time or three years' time, in the interim, we pray that, that your grace would be sufficient. That you would be teaching, that you would be helping, that you would be working. Because, uh, again, and, 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 and this is what bothers me, that when some in the church go, well, you just have to have enough faith and you could be healed. Uh, the, the, the destruction that's done, the shipwreck some people have suffered for, for that in their life. I've known many people who, who, have, who have lost children. And people go, well, if you would have had more faith, that wouldn't have happened. How dare you say that? And people have thought, well, I guess I'm just, I just don't have enough faith. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe I, I don't have it. Man, if Paul the Apostle dealt with something that the Lord didn't heal, it had nothing to do with his faith or lack thereof. Why would James in James chapter 1 verse 2 say rejoice in tribulation if all we had to do was faith our way out of it? Again, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And just back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells them of these supernatural gifts that God is able to heal. So, so at no point today am I saying that God cannot supernaturally heal or work in a situation. He can do that as much as He pleases. What I am saying, though, is that we cannot get in our heads or, 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 or you know, charge God with wrong when he doesn't do what we ask him to do, the way we ask him to do it. His ways are above our ways. He does things the way he wants to do them, and he knows why he's doing them. You ever had those times, I know I have, where, where you know, you, you run into somebody and it's, it turns into this wonderful thing and maybe you pray for them or you get to be a part of something that happens in their life and you go, oh my goodness, if I wouldn't have... X, Y, and Z, right? If I wouldn't have stopped at this place, if I wouldn't have gotten held up over here, if this wouldn't have happened, if that wouldn't have, if all these things hadn't happened just perfectly, I wouldn't have ended up right here, right now. That's what God's at work at all the time. But sometimes with other people, not with us. So there's times when I'm going through it that I'm going, you know what, Lord? I, I'm not going through this because I'm stupid. I, I, it's not something I did. I'm not, I'm not like reaping what I've, so, it's just a holdup. It's just something that's caused a problem. You must be working something that I don't understand. But here in this specific time, he says, my grace is enough for you, Paul. My strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness so that Paul couldn't at the end take any glory for himself and say, do you know why all this happened? Do you know why all these churches were planted? He's because look how amazing I am. No way. He says, therefore, the second half of verse 9, most gladly I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so he says that he takes pleasure in infirmities. Verse 10, he takes pleasure in reproaches. He, he takes pleasure in needs, pleasure in persecutions, pleasure in distress, pleasure uh, in all those things for Christ's sake. He says, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because we stop relying on ourselves and we start relying on the Lord. I don't know about you, I take pleasure in certain things, <laughs> but usually it's not that list. I take pleasure in a good meal, man. 
I, I mean, I think uh, anybody who says we're just animals, I don't, I don't know that there's any other animals in the world who, who enjoy food the way we enjoy food. You know, I don't think, you know, animals in the wild, like, you know, if you mix this with this, boy, it's just, right? But we take pleasure in that kind of stuff. I don't think animals sit by, hear the little brook, you know, and like, oh my gosh, listen to the melody of that brook. You know, we, they don't find, ple- we find pleasure in, you know, good music, something that sounds right, something that tastes right. We take pleasure in, in countless, I'll tell you, a good golf shot, man. When I get a good golf shot, I'm like, that is good. <laughs> Doesn't happen all the time, but it happens sometimes. But seldom when there's infirmities do I go, oh, joy. Praise the Lord for this. Or when I'm being reproached, I'll tell you, I don't, well, you've probably been there. I have too. When there's needs, most of us have had those times in our lives when there's not, you know, two dimes to rub together. And, and you're like, Lord, if you don't come through, Lord, I got nothing else to rely on. I got nothing else. Lord, all I have is you. And when those times come, I'll tell you, when we lean on the Lord for something that needs to be otherworldly, and it happens, and, and, and we could probably tell testimony all day of things that God has done in our lives when it's like we were, we were on the brink, man. We were so close to losing it, man. We were this close, and God comes through. So he says, I take pleasure when these difficulties come. He says, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong when I'm relying on the Lord. That's true strength. And that would take us back to, to the beginning, right, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where, where he says that no flesh would glory in his presence. The, the goal is never that people would look at the vessel and rejoice in the vessel. <laughs> I'll tell you, I love, I love, I love, I love being a part of this church. I don't think anybody in the world is tempted <laughs> to go, oh man, so many good things happened there because Pastor Zeke's so amazing. Because Daniel and Jacob are so great. I don't think anybody thinks that. <laughs> They're going with those three knuckleheads? It can only be God. That stuff. And you add Thomas to the mix? Jeez. <laughs> you know? That anything good happens here is why? Because of God. Again, we, we look around. We're, we're as blue-collar as it gets around here. You go look on Zeke's wall, my wall, Jacob's wall. There, there's not a degree hanging anywhere. People go, where'd you go to uh, seminary? I'm like, well, about that. Uh, just studied the Bible a lot. <laughs> You know, you, well, how do you, and again, sometimes people, well, what kind of, you know, strategy do you use? I'm like, uh, we pray. <laughs> we just pray and we wait for God to say something. We, we just, you know, we just kind of just do the main things and the plain things. And, and if God chooses to bless it, God chooses to bless it. There's no strategy happening here. We're not smart enough for that stuff. And again, so we just go, hey, Lord, you haven't made us to be super. And again, some people have that. They have those gifts and talents and abilities. We haven't. And, and, and so I pray it would never be a thing where, where we would look and go, oh, man, because those guys are the best and the brightest around. It has nothing to do with that. And that's why we glory in these things, because then God gets the glory. 
You remember when God chose the nation of Israel? He goes, I'm not choosing you because you're a great people. I'm not choosing you because you're the best and the bright. I'm choosing you so that when something good happens, no one will be tempted to give you the credit. They would go, there's a God in Israel. And if you remember later on in Exodus, later on in the book of Numbers, you get to Deuteronomy, he says, their God, other people knew their God fights for them. Their God is the one doing the work. He's superior to our gods. And that's where we need to put ourselves, in a place where we decrease. And I, and I do want to just give just brief testimony. Um, if you guys remember, some of you, well, it's second service, you might not remember. Uh, one of the brothers that came to first service for so many years, uh, Tom Harris. You guys remember Tom Harris? Tom and Bobby Harris were here for a long time. And, uh, and when that dementia and, and Alzheimer's came, it came hard and fast with Tom. And we all prayed for healing, didn't we? We all prayed that God would fix Tom's mind and that he would help him through. And, and we prayed for our sister Bobby as she took care of her husband of all those years and how difficult that was. But we didn't see healing like we thought we would want to see it on this side of eternity, did we? But one thing we saw was strength made perfect in weakness. Our faith was strengthened watching the way Tom went through what he went through, not cursing God. We, I, my strength grew watching the way his wife so selflessly took care of him. I mean, as selfless as a person could be so that she could take care of her husband. Our faith grew as a result. And, and, and I really think that this kind of stuff right here that we see in the Scriptures that the rest of those who were around Paul's ministry saw these things. Young guys like Timothy, guys like Titus who traveled with him, who would go on to pastor churches, those guys were watching Paul, not just what Paul taught them, not just the things Paul said or wrote or the places they went together, but they watched those goopy eyes and go, how does he keep doing it? How does he keep living for Christ? And that was just as much of discipleship, that they would watch those people. And, and, and man, I love when there's people, well, <laughs> sounds rude. I love watching people go through difficult things. I, I love it to see their faith not shaken when they walk through a difficult time. And as much as I hate to admit it, I love when difficult time comes because of what comes out the other end. And so we, let's not just always pray, God, get me out of this thing. I think that's one of the greatest things we can learn this morning. Some of us are going through hard times right now. I'll tell you, this is week one of distance learning. Well, I think a lot of us are going through hard times right now. Maybe, maybe that's not, maybe it's not, hey, Lord, get me out of this. You know, you tell that governor, Lord, to, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, uh, Lord, would you give me strength that I've never had before? Lord, would you give me patience that I've never had before? Lord, would you show me how I should be behaving in this time? I'm not just talking to the distance learners anymore. I'm talking to everybody. Maybe there's something you've been going through, I've been going through, that we just say, Lord, rescue me out of this. Maybe God doesn't want to rescue us out of it. Just Maybe He's saying, hey, my grace is sufficient. When, when you're weak, I'm, I'm strong for you. Maybe that's what God's doing right now in our lives. 
And it's okay to take pleasure in those things. And like James chapter 1 says, to rejoice in tribulation. To rejoice and say, okay, God, if this is what you're doing, then, then I'm going to thank you in this. Right? There's like those songs. It's like, I'm going to praise you, you know, when, when there's a storm. I'm going to worship you. What's that song we sang? You know, yes, I will. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll lift you high, even in the valley. It's nice to be on the mountaintops with God, isn't it? Isn't it nice when everything's good and, and we're just like flying, you know, and it's just beautiful and everything's easy and good. And, and you know, there's a good quote on that movie, Trolls. You could tell the age of my kids, right, uh, if you watch Trolls. But life's not always cupcakes and rainbows, you know. And the mountaintops are fun, but the fruit grows where? In the valley. Isn't that where the fruit grows? It's in the valley. That's when we find out who we really are and who we really trust. And there are times, guys, that those whispers come from the enemy in the midst of our prayer time. When, when, when Has God really said he's going to be with you? Is God really going to help you? And you go, you better believe. You better believe he is. God's just as much with us as, as he is at any other time. We're going to quickly go through the last verses here. Verse 11, he says, I've become a fool in boasting. You've compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Paul's going to get to this final part of like a father sitting his child down and saying, now let me tell you what's going on. I don't know if you've had them. I've had those times to be sat down and, and he goes, look, you thought I was a fool and, and you made me defend myself here and, and you should have praised me for what I've done and for what I've said. And, and instead, you, you, you know, I, he goes, I'm not behind those guys even a little bit. Those super apostles who, who came in and said I was nothing. I, I, you know, in full measure, I'm all those things. And he says in verse 12, Truly the signs of, of an apostle were accomplished among you with all uh, perseverance and sign and wonders and mighty deeds. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when Paul said, I didn't come with persuasive words. I didn't want your faith to be in those words. I wanted them to be in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He goes, you know what happened when I was there among you. Verse 13, for what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. He goes, verse 14, now, now for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not lay up to, for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. If that's not a father talking to his children, I don't know what is. He says, look, forgive me the wrong of not being a burden to you. Uh, it's never a father's desire to be a burden on their children. And he says, I'm coming to you again, and I won't be burdensome to you. And he goes, I don't seek yours. I seek you. I don't want what you have to give me. I just want to love you. I just want to pour my life out for you. And he, and he says, I, I, and I will gladly continue to spend and to be spent for you and for your souls, he goes, even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. And that's a good warning for any type of Christian service. If you desire to serve the Lord in any way, 
in one way, whether it's teaching kids in the back, whether it's, you know, uh, emptying the trash cans at church, whether it's teaching Bibles, whatever it might be in your service to the Lord, understand, uh, please just understand that, th- that this is kind of sometimes the way it goes. All you got to do is look at Moses' example as he was in the wilderness. He delivers these people from slavery, right? Slavery. And they get out in the wilderness like, oh, so you brought us out here to kill us. Jeez, thanks. We could have died in Egypt. (laughs) I brought you out of there. And they're like, well, you know, and every time, man, you just get out of, uh, what what would it be, chapter, uh, is it like 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there in Exodus? They get out of Egypt, and it's like every single chapter, it's something. That they complain. Uh, Man, doing youth ministry when I did, I, 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 I know what Moses felt like now. I can't do anything without you guys complaining about it. And all I want to do is love you guys and pour my life out for you guys. And and, and excuse me for loving you so much, you know. No offense, it could be like that with adults too sometimes. But that's the heart of a servant, isn't it? Some people get discouraged when they serve the Lord and, 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 uh, and people kind of, you know, Uh, Give them a hard time about it. Understand, it comes with it. You're in good company with Paul there. He says, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. That's all right. Verse 16, he goes, but be that as it may, I did not burn you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. What he means by that, catching them by cunning, he he says, "I I, I knew what I was doing, not taking payment from you. Again, that was the accusation, that because Paul wouldn't take payment from this church for his ministry, but instead was supported by somebody else, they go, well, that's how you know he wasn't a real apostle. He goes, no, no, I, I didn't take payment from you because I knew you'd hang it over my head. He says in verse 17 and 18, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent? I urged Titus and I sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? He goes, these two guys that I sent, my two ministry partners, did, did, they, did they try to take advantage of you? No, God knows. We're just here to serve you. And he says it here in verse 19, and, and this, is the, this is it right here. He goes, and again, do you think that we excuse ourselves toward you, uh, to you? We speak before God in Christ. We do all these things, beloved, for your edification. That's the heart of a pastor, that's the heart of a minister of the gospel, that's the heart of a servant of Christ, is that we would edify the body of Christ. That anything God has given us to do, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he speaks about spiritual gifts. He says these things are to edify the body, to build each other up. None of it is done selfishly. We have to be very careful not to be selfish in anything we do. Wherever we serve the Lord in any capacity to not make it about us, but to say it is about God and it is for the people to be built up in their faith. There are some all throughout the world that can serve the Lord with with bad motives. A good friend of mine in Canada, pastors a a, a very, very nice church in Canada, small little place though. And he says, there's times I'm tempted to like kind of run certain programs and, you know, so we could have a bigger church, so we could do more things, so we could do whatever. He goes, and the Lord stopped me and made me realize that the people aren't, aren't a, a means to an end. The, the people don't exist and come to church so, so that the leadership can profit in some way. It's not like that at all. 
It is the job of those who lead the church to come under and to serve the people and to lift the people up to the Lord, that we would present you all to the Lord by feeding you what God says, by edifying. That's the goal at all times. And so we have to be careful anytime it looks like the arrows are facing towards us for good to, to point that stuff back towards the Lord to give Him the glory and all these things. He says it's for their edification. He says, for I fear, as we, as we wrap up verses 20 and 21, for I fear lest when I come, I, I shall not find you as I wish and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish lest there be contentions or jealousies or outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, some backbiting, whispering, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness of the fornication of lewdness which they have practiced. One of the things we find here is the people were, were just as much in sin as they were when Paul left. Even though these super apostles came, even though these people came to, to bring them into bondage, the bondage of legalism, more rules, that's what will make you more holy. And we see that, guys, right off the bat, uh, that, that, that legalism doesn't produce holiness. More rules doesn't produce holiness. Holiness is produced out of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That is how we become more like God, is that we draw near to Him. And we let Him do the work in our lives. And so if there's anything for today, I would say is let's trust God to do things His way, the way that He sees fit, that we would honor God and in all things we would say, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, when we consider your word. And, and Lord, I pray that your word would have done heart work on us today. Lord, maybe there's someone in here or maybe a couple people in here been praying for healing or deliverance for some time now. And Lord, we do believe you. It's not hard for you, God. Lord, you could heal just with a word. We think of that time before Jesus, where, where, where the person said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Lord, you said, I'm willing, be cleansed. And you did it in the moment. Lord, if there's someone in here and it's your will to, to heal them right now, today, right now, Lord, we pray you do it. Lord, for some of us in here, maybe there's something we've been praying for deliverance and, and today your word to us was, my grace is sufficient for you. And so help us to stop fighting, Lord. Help us to stop arguing with you. Help us to stop uh, trying to run away from what you're trying to teach us. We'll just receive your correction, Lord. Lord, we'll just want, we just want to walk with you. We want you to be honored and glorified in our midst. So fill us with your spirit today, we pray. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.